Grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, remain standing for just a moment uh, in reverence to God's Word. Hebrews chapter number 12. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. I want to say it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I am, I am, I am thrilled to be in a place that's hungry for His Word. Uh, we, we have been going through, most of y'all know, we've been going through Romans 12 too. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, being conformed to this world is a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, I know, I know there are some who have been through this series and you think I'm just a, a little too radical, uh, that I am taking this a little too seriously or that I may be extreme. But I want you to know there's some things you need to know that apparently you don't know. Jesus is very extreme when it comes to sin. And he's even more extreme when it comes to sin when the sin is in a saint. And so a lot of people are resting on their blessed assurance and think, well, I'm eternally saved, so it really don't matter how I behave. That means you don't know your Bible or you're not saved. So I want to, I want to do this tonight. Today, the title is when a saint sins, when a saint sins. And let's see uh, what God thinks about that. Obviously we know what God thinks about that. That's not the question. Sin bad, righteousness good, right? The question is, is what will God do about it? What will God do about sin in one of his saints? And so let's look in Hebrews chapter number 12 in verse number one. If you found you, give me all I can get, brother Mike, because my hearing is bad. Uh, uh, I just can't hardly hear this morning. So wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, put away. That's what that means. Let us lay aside every weight. And the what? Sin, which is so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Or consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In other words, we should be looking to Christ who is our example. And nobody has resisted so strong against sin. Nobody's gone through what he's gone through. That's basically what that's saying. Verse number five. Here's where we get to the meat. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son... Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son, how many? Every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, or if you experience, if you go through chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom, it's a rhetorical question, what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If you're a son, you're going to get it. 
But he says, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards. You are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. In other words, for their benefit. But he for our what? That we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. No kidding. But grievous, grievous, nevertheless, afterward. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful and thankful for your mercy. Lord, I'm thankful for a full house. I'm thankful for people who want to learn and want to grow. Lord, I pray, I pray that you'll help me. Lord, I know I don't deserve to be in the place that I'm standing, but God, this is my calling. And you have put me in the ministry and placed me here. And I pray that you will give me the strength to do what you've called me to do. I pray that you'll give me an unction from the Holy Spirit. Lord, control my mind and my thoughts. Fill me with your spirit. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't and don't let me forget anything I should. I pray that you'll touch every ear that's in this place, every heart that they may comprehend and clearly understand your word. God will give you the glory and the praise and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And all God's people said. If you go through the book of Hebrews, and in in your notes, if if you have picked up one of the outlines out of the foyer, uh, you'll find out in the beginning, in the intro, that there is a progression that is taking place through the book of Hebrews. The writer is speaking to the Hebrew people and many are discouraged. Many are wanting to quit. Some are struggling to even believe. And and there are many wanting to go back into the old way of life, go back into Judaism. They've been called out of that into Christianity. They've been called to follow Christ and, and, and they're just going through difficulty. They're going through persecution. Uh, they are struggling. They are having issues. It's just a, it's just a bad situation. But as you read the book of Hebrews, you'll find there is a progression. In other words, there's a downward slide, if you will, going from a place of belief, going from a place of commitment going from a place of consistency and faithfulness to a place to their absolutely daring God to do something. You see, a slide in the Christian life is not automatic. It's not overnight. It's just meant people are like a motor. You start skipping before you quit. And we don't go from being on fire for God one minute to being out with God on the next minute. It is a progressional slide. And if you go through the book of Hebrews, you'll find out it goes like this. If we do not listen to God's word and really hear it, we will start to drift. That's chapter two, verse one to drift. 
We'll start drifting from God's word. We'll start drifting from the the truth and what we are supposed to be. Neglect always leads to drifting in these things and things material and physical as well as spiritual. As we drift from the word, we start to what? Doubt. We start to doubt. Is this really true? Is that really right? Is that really the way it is? Is that really that big a deal to be immodest in public? Is it that really that big a deal to watch this or that on the TV screen? Now, we begin to doubt because hearing the word of God brings faith. So when we neglect the word of God, our faith fizzles. We start to get hard hearts. This leads to spiritual sluggishness, which produces what? Dullness. So we begin drifting. We begin neglecting the word in, in reading and in study. We neglect coming to church because the Bible says you, you have been forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You're hitting and miss at church. You used to come on Wednesday nights. You don't do that anymore. You're hitting and miss on Sunday. You're drifting from the word. Then you start doubting the word and then you become dull. Now the word dull means hard to teach. It it is a struggle to receive truth because your heart has gotten hard. There has been calluses rising up and it's in what Paul is saying. It's difficult to get through to you. You can say the truth that at one point in your life, you received it readily. You were glad to accept it as truth, but now you're questioning everything. Become dull of hearing. Then we become lazy listeners. This leads to a despiteful attitude toward the word. Now, what is the, what is the word despite here? It means defiance with contempt. Defiance with contempt. You heard what God said about the way you should act. You heard what God said in his word about the way you should dress, but you just got an attitude. You act defiant toward it. Well, I don't care what that preacher said. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll watch whatever show I want to watch. Defiant. Defiant. Then it leads to willful disobedience to God. Willfully disobeying God. Now, this gradually develops into a defiant attitude Chapter 12, verse 25, where we almost dare God to do anything. Now, let me, let me, let me say this before we go any further. You really don't want to dare God. God doesn't play chicken. I promise you, you will quit first. Now, here's what here's what we see leading up to this chapter. You find and this is the progression we find drifting turns into doubting, turns into dullness, turns into despite, turns into disobedience and turns into a defiant attitude. So now here we are in chapter number 12 and he says, lay aside the sin Put away the sin from you. It will beset you. It will throw you off course. It will keep you from running your race. 
And some of the experiences they were going through was because God was chastening his children. God was disciplining his children, training his children. And, and, and the writer says, you've forgotten that. You've forgotten what the word says. You've forgotten that you're a child of God now. You've forgotten that you belong to Christ. You are not your own anymore. You're not the boss anymore. You're not in charge anymore. That you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, a father will discipline his child. You've forgotten that. That's what he's saying. You've forgotten what, what the word has said. Now, here's what I want to do. Let me, give you, let me just give you a couple quick things real quick. And we'll, 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 we'll be done with this. Thank the Lord. I want you to, now, first of all, here's the thing you need to understand the father will discipline the child period. Okay. We, we live in a society that's gotten so far away from the, 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 the word of God, so far away from the scriptures that we don't even believe in disciplining the children. Well, honey, I don't care what you think. God thinks different. All right. So here is number one. I want you to see the pattern of discipline. How does the father discipline his child? How does God discipline his children? First of all, it begins with a rebuke. It begins with a rebuke. He says in verse number five. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art, what? Rebuke. Say it with me. When thou art rebuked of him. Now here's, here, rebuke is mild. It's mild in consideration. The word rebuke means to admonish. It's a verbal warning. A verbal warning. God will prick your conscience for a sin you commit. He will use the preaching and teaching of the word to rebuke you. Sometimes in your prayers, God will try and get your attention. Sometimes it's through the words of others. In other words, you're sitting in the pew, you're sitting in the pew and the preacher starts preaching. He preaches the word and there's something that he gets on your toes about. And God begins to prick your heart and says, you're guilty. You're doing exactly what he's talking about and you need to knock it off. That's a rebuke. That's, that's a, that's a clear cut God getting in your face, getting in your grill and telling you, knock it off. Now, how many of you, if you're honest enough, you're not a, you, listen, you'll be honest. So the rest of this crowd can see how many of y'all have been rebuked in the preaching before. I've been rebuked in my own preaching. God said, that's right. That's right. Say that to yourself again. And God will, hey, straighten up. God will rebuke you. It's, it's, it's the mildest form of discipline. Everybody crying, oh, he got on my toes today. You better hope that's all he gets on. The rebuke is the mildest, easiest form of discipline. Please hear me. Well, I don't like going. Some people won't go to a church like, well, I don't like it when they make me feel bad. Honey, you better go because that's the easiest God's going to be on you. 
And guess what? If we persist in our foolishness, if we persist in the sin that he's convicting us of, no matter what it is, we move to the second level, the second phase. He goes from your rebuke, a, a, an admonishment, a verbal warning, to chastening. To chastening. The word means to discipline, to punish. This is a more severe form of discipline than the first. It involves emotional anxiety, frustration, or distress. Pressures increase at work. This is what it would feel like in real life. Pressures increase at work, at home, in your health or finances. Many Christians go along in their Christian life in this level of discipline. They feel unfulfilled at church, critical all the time, kind of on the outs with God. When they pick up their Bible, it feels like a lead weight and they can't seem to figure out why. I'm just not happy, preacher. I just don't have any joy. I don't have any peace. I'm frustrated all the time. Seems like I'm, I'm an emotional wreck constantly. I have anxiety. It might be that God is chastening you. God is, and by the way, before we go any further, let me help you with this. If, if you're in any of this, if you're in any of this, you know. Nobody's ever said, I have never gone to my father and said, what exactly am I getting this whooping for? How many of y'all know that when you got disciplined, you knew exactly why you got disciplined? You see, sometimes discipline and, and storms of development, they feel the same. They're both painful. But the difference is that Jonah knew why God was getting his attention. Are y'all with me? So let's just put that out there. Let's just put that out there. If you're experiencing this and you already know that God has rebuked you about something, God has convicted you about something that you're allowing in your life, whether it's a sin of commission or a sin of omission, commission is what you're doing that you shouldn't. Omission is what you're not doing that you should. Kind of like skipping church every other week. That's a sin of omission. And God's already told you about that. God's already rebuked you about that. And now he's got to go a little further because you're not paying attention. So we go from a rebuke to chastening and then scourging. He said, verse six, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And what's that word? Come on. Oh, we got quiet. Chasteneth and scourgeth. Scourgeth. By the way, guys, the word, the word scourge is the same word they used in the beating of the Lord Jesus with the cat of nine tails. Same word. Now watch. The word scourge means to flog. In this level of discipline, you are living in open sin and flagrant defiance for what you know is right. You have not responded to the Lord's attempt to get your attention. And because of this, he must report or resort to inflicting pain to get the result. God takes long-term sin very seriously. The consequences are more drastic than most Christians realize. 
Paul said that unconfessed and unrepented sin in the Corinthian church had caused some of its members to get weak, or weak, sick, and even what? Die. And even die. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this before I go any further. God's discipline is always determined by your stubbornness. If a rebuke gets your attention, it's over with. If God can get your attention by you sitting in the church and the preacher preaching a chapter and God getting your attention and you stop whatever it is you're supposed to stop doing, it's over with. But if it don't work, he moves to, he moves to chastening. Letting stress pile up in your life. Letting difficulty pile up in your life. Letting anxiety pile up in your life. And if that don't work, he's just going to bust your hide. Now, let me, let me confess. My first semester in college, I went to South Carolina. It's cold as I've ever been in my life. Now, keep in mind, I'm from South Florida. South, way South Florida. I'm talking about I'm that close to being Cuban. Are y'all with me? <laughs> it's warm in South Florida. And I, and I went to South Carolina in the dead of winter, and I like to froze to death. I thought to myself, this cannot be the will of God. I was homesick. I'm telling you, I was homesick as I've ever been in my life, 500 miles away from everybody I knew. And, and, and it, was, it was just difficult. That first semester, it was just difficult. Summer comes, and I go home for the summer. I really shouldn't. I should have stayed. I was supposed to stay, but I went home for the summer. And make a long story short, I made up my mind, I don't need school. I don't need that. I'm not going back. It caused problems. It caused problems with me and my, my father, me and my mother. I mean, we would, was arguing, fighting. I, I done, you know, I was so far away from God. I was not wanting to go back. I went, I went and moved in with my cousin. I'm going to do what I want to do. I ain't going back up there. Well, I got the rebuke and I didn't listen. Things wasn't, there was anxiety and stress and everything. I wasn't listening. I decided to go play baseball with some of my friends that I played baseball in high school. They started a league that was for uh, guys right out of high school in between college during the summertime. So I went and I joined up and I was having big time. One day at practice, before the coaches got there, they were hitting fly balls out there, shagging fly balls in the outfield, and I'm out there just having a big time. They hit me a, a fly ball, and I'm running after it as hard as I could, and I'm going to catch this ball. And I, grab, and I caught the ball, and the minute I turned around, I kissed a chain link fence. Y'all yeah, think it's funny. I didn't. I was running wide open. Brother John, I was running wide open. I hit that chain link fence and it cut my face all to pieces. I was laying on the ground, about broke my shoulder, hit the pole. And I'm laying on the ground between blood and tears and everything. I'm looking up at the sky and the first thought I had is I need to go back to school. If I'd have been at school, 
I wouldn't be bleeding right now. Now I know what some of you, oh, that's just a coincidence. No, that wasn't no coincidence. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit was surreal in that moment. Uh, son, what you going to do? You going to go to school? Guess what I did? I went to school. That was it. Well, I just don't believe in that stuff. Well, just keep being foolish. Preacher, what are you saying? Everybody look at me in this moment right now. I need you to really pay attention to what I'm saying. God knows how to get your attention. And guess what? He will keep on till he gets it. Or it kills you one. I got Bible. I can prove it. Does God take it that far? If you, it depends on your stubbornness. Now, number two. Number two, we see God's pattern for discipline. Number two, we see the proofs of God's discipline. The proofs of God's discipline. Verse number six. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth, what's that next word? How many of them? So so which child of God is going to get out of being disciplined? None. Every son whom he receiveth. Receiveth means you're saved. You're born again. He receives you into the family. But let's go back to the beginning of the verse. For whom the Lord, what's that word? Love it. it. Say it again. Whom the Lord. You see, the first proof of discipline is the proof of God's love for you. Now write that down. If you are experiencing discipline or have experienced discipline, that means you have a God in heaven who loves you. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighted. If God just left you alone, that meant he's not, you're not part of his. Listen, he loves you, so he corrects you. Proverbs 13, 24, all your parents, pay attention right here. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. And the word be times means before it's too late. The problem is, is we love our little munchkin so much, or we say we do, that we don't discipline like they need to, and then they get to an age where you can't, and it's too late. And by the way, when you wait that long, that means the judge has got to do it now. If you love them, you will discipline them. You will train them. Amen. Psalms 89.30. Psalms 89, 30, the Bible says, if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the, and their iniquity with, nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fall. 
failed. There you go. Revelation 3.19. As many as I, I, and. Are y'all with me? And my father would always say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I never believed it in the moment. Until I had a young one. Until I had a young one. Then I realized the pain. I realized there was something I needed to do for the benefit of that child. Not because I hated that child, but because I love that child. And I want what's best for that child. I don't like this discipline. He don't like it neither. And the only reason you're going through it is because it's proof of God's love. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. Then B, write this down. Discipline is proof of God's love for you. But it's also proof of salvation. Sonship, if you will. It's a proof that you belong to him. Now look what it says. Look what it says. In verse number seven. If ye endure or experience, you go through chastening, God dealeth with you as with, that means you're a family member. You belong to him. Because what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? There isn't one. There isn't one. But if ye be without chastisement, if God just lets you live in your sin with no conviction, no chastening, no correction, no discipline, Whereof all, all the family members are partakers, then are you illegitimate, your bastards and not sons. You may claim to be a child of God. You may go to church. You may sing the songs. But if you can go out and live in habitual sin, if you can do what you know the Bible says not to do and nothing happens, nothing bothers you, you're not convicted by it at all then either you're so far away from God that you feel nothing. And I don't believe that's the case because God's going to keep working on you. That means you are not saved. And that is worse than being a child of God under discipline. Some of y'all, while I was preaching these, this through this series, it didn't bother you a bit. You didn't care in the world. It didn't, there was no conviction whatsoever. I gave you point by point by point by point what it means to be conformed to this world about what all the, and, and you haven't changed a bit. It hasn't bothered you a bit. You haven't slowed up a bit. There's no sense of conviction in your heart. Honey, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. Because if you are a child of God, and you are living contrary to the word of God, even the least little bit, a little sin, God will get your attention. And if he's not, well, preacher, my life's fine. Well, then you're in worse shape. Because that means he don't belong, you don't belong to him. How many of y'all have ever been in a mall somewhere? You've been in a mall somewhere and, 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 and you see uh, little Johnny there pitching a fit with his mama. I mean, just being a holy terror, just throwing a tantrum right there in the middle of the mall. And you're, this is your thought process. Give me that youngin' for one week. 
Just one week's all it takes. One week. But you, you don't do that. You don't go snatch up that young and let me show you how this is done. You say, why don't you do that? Because he don't belong to you. God's not going to go snatch up a sinner and wear him out if he don't belong to him. But let me tell you something. If you do belong to you, you go ahead and pitch your fit. You see, there are some things my father or mother never knew. But there's not a single disobedient thought or act that you'll get by him. I don't like that. Well, listen, if you're going through chastening, it's just proof that he loves you. It's proof that you belong to him. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Number three. Number three. Number three. <clears throat> I want you to see the prophet. The prophet. What do we get out of this? Why is this good for us? <clears throat> If ye be without chastisement, you're illegitimate. Furthermore, verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them, what? Reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and... Say it again. And... What's the first benefit of discipline? Life. Life. Preacher, what are you saying? Okay, what, what do we allow in our life that causes us to be disciplined? What do we allow in our life that call, we commit it? Okay, there you go. Sin. Now watch this. For the wages of sin is... Y'all picking it up yet? Watch. The results of sin is death. James 1.15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth Romans 6.21. What fruit had ye then in those things wherever ye are now ashamed? For the end, in other words, when it's done with you, the end of those things is Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of. Why does God not want sin in your life? Because it's going to kill you. Why is he so concerned about sin in your life? Why does it matter to God that you allow sin in your life because it's damaging to you. It's destructive to you. It will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll make you pay more than you want to pay. You will experience things you never dreamed in a million years. Sin is deadly. And God doesn't want that in your life. 
God doesn't want you destroyed. God doesn't want you discouraged. God doesn't want you frustrated. God doesn't want you to go through this and experience this because he loves you. You belong to him. John 10, 10, I've come, the thief cometh, but to steal, kill and destroy. But I am come that you might have life. Not just have life, but have life more abundantly. God wants you to have joyful life. God wants you to have a peaceful life. God wants you to have a blessed life. God wants you to have a prosperous life. But sin is destructive and sin will destroy. He wants you to have life so bad that he sent his son to die on a cross to take away sin out of your life. Don't let it back in. The prophet of discipline is you will experience life. You will repent and confess and forsake the sin in your life. And when you get the sin out, the life will come in. God wants you to live. God wants you to live your best life and you're not going to live your best life according to the world. The world is a mirage. The world will lie to you. It will show you the worm, but it doesn't show you the hook. Listen, it'll show you the scantily clad women and and the free sex, but it won't show you the STDs and the diseases and AIDS and syphilis and everything else that goes with that. It'll show you the alcohol and the parties and the living it up, but it won't show you the cars wrapped around the trees. It won't show you the livers that have been destroyed because of alcohol. It won't show you the damaged families and the damaged lives and the divorces and the abused kids. It won't show you that. God disciplines sin because it damages you and it will cause death. Listen, the profit of discipline is it will produce life, real life, joyful life, a life of peace. B, what's the profit? What's the benefit of discipline? It produces life. Then B, it produces, it produces holiness. Holiness, verse 10 <clears throat> For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own plan. In other words, our parents did it for their benefit. They discipline you so you'll mind. So you ain't a headache. Come on, y'all go ahead and say amen. But he, for our what? Our prophet. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Ephesians 4.24 That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible says we're to seek peace with all men and holiness. Because it says, Without holiness we shall not see God. Holiness. Discipline produces holiness. Then lastly, lastly, verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. I've never had a whooping that I said, oh, what a blessing. I, I, I heard I heard this statement, and it's true. If your child, you you have whooped your child, 
Discipline your child. If he's mad when you're done, you didn't do it right. But if he's glad when you're done, you done it right. I'm going to tell you this. When God gives my attention, if I'm mad, then it ain't over with. But if I'm glad, that means it done the job. Discipline doesn't create arrogance. It creates humility. If your heart is right. That prodigal. That prodigal brother John. He didn't, he didn't come back and said. I, I, I need my room back. You know what that prodigal said? I don't even deserve to be here. If you'll just let me be a servant. Boy, God's discipline will create humility. Now watch, watch, this is the, this may be the most important thing that some of you guys hear today. Some of you might not care about life. Some of you might not even care about holiness. But the third thing it'll produce in your life is peace. Peace. Look what it says. It says in verse number 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, when God's through, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Look at the verses in your notes. Look at the verses in your notes. Psalms 119, 165. Great. Come on, everybody. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Romans, what what does that mean? If you're constantly being offended, I mean, there's some people, there's some people on, on, on on the social media, they are offended when they have nothing to be offended by. And they're constantly in a perpetual state of offendedness. And the reason they're that way is they have no peace. And the reason they have no peace is because they love not his law. Now watch. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and and joy in the Holy Ghost. You know, these prosperity preachers run around town. They're talking about meat and drink. They're talking about Mercedes and mansions. They're talking about, you know, bonuses and and, and all of these things. God said, "Uh uh-uh. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Where's your joy meter at right now? Where's your, where's your peace level? Because it's going to be greatly determined by the righteousness gauge. Because righteousness produces peace. And peace produces joy. 
You see, when I'm unrighteous, I don't have any peace. Because there's a father in heaven that's making it very unpeaceable for me. Are y'all with me? Now, now you're at odds with him. There is no peace. Righteousness produces peace. Y- y'all know, y'all know. The Bible says, watch this now. Everybody look, I'm on. So y'all done got all your things filled out and y'all done stop paying attention. Now watch. The Bible says the righteous, say it with me, the righteous. are bold as a lion. But the wicked flee when no man pursueth. You me tell you what they don't have? Peace. And the reason they don't have peace is that they don't have righteousness. What's God told you to stop doing? What's God told you to start doing? What's God, what's God got your attention about in the last three or four weeks? What's God told you to repent of and forsake? What words have God told you to stop using? What TV shows has he told you to stop watching? What clothes has he told you to stop wearing? What behavior has he told you to quit living? I'm going to do what I want to do. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. I know I'm not the Holy Spirit and I'm not a policeman and I can't control what you do, but I can sure warn you of what's ahead. Well, preacher... I, see, I got one on you. Ain't nothing happening to me. Well, you're in worse shape. Because that means you're not even a child of God. So the first thing you need to do is come up here and get saved. And all the rest of us, we need to repent. Let us lay aside. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Because if we don't, at about three or four verses later, it says, you have forgotten. One more thing. Mamas, mamas, if you, if you had the household like I, I grew up in, have you ever told your child, uh-huh, your daddy's coming home. There were times me and my brother forgot that. And she so eloquently reminded, you keep acting the fool because your daddy's coming home. Now I'm telling you, I'm not telling you any of this because I'm mad at you or I'm trying to straighten you out. I'm trying to keep you from getting a whooping. And all God's people say it. 